Good morning and welcome to Alpine Church. Uh, excited to be with you here today. My name is Chris, uh, one of the teaching pastors here. And uh, if you're new or visiting with us, we just want to extend a special warm welcome to you. Uh, say, say thank you so much for joining us, man. We're extremely honored that you would choose to come and worship with us on a Sunday, and, and we hope that, that you really enjoy uh, what's in store. If you have any questions, we would love to answer those questions. If you're a Fusion Youth student today, I got these guys waving at me in the back, uh, you can get up and go to the youth class uh, over there in, uh, it might be room one, two. Sorry, it's dark. Again, good morning. So uh, over the last few weeks, what we have been doing, uh, if you've been with us, we've been going through uh, the Ten Commandments. And so uh, after the, the first four commandments, we thought, man, uh, we should probably step back and take a little bit of a break, right? When we talk about those first four commandments, those are those vertical commandments, right? The commandments that God gave us uh, so that we are in line with Him and so that we're connecting with Him. And uh, before we jump into the idea of the commandments and how it governs our relationship with other people, right, those are called uh, the ver vertical commandments, and those are going to be uh, the next six that we talk about. Uh, we thought that we would take a break right in the middle, and we would uh, do a few messages to challenge and to encourage our people, uh, our church, those of you who would say that you are an Alpine Church member, uh, to really get on board with what we're calling the Legacy Project. And so we're going to talk a little bit more about that. If you were here last week, you heard about it. Uh, but today, we're going to look at this through the life of Jonah. Now, I want to start by asking, have you ever wondered what you would do if God came to you and asked you to do something that you thought was impossible? Now, have you ever read of some of the stories where God showed up, uh, maybe it was in the sign of a, a burning bush or all these things where God spoke to these people and asked them to do uh, these crazy things? What would you do if God personally asked you to do something impossible? Now, I would like to say uh, that I am uh, close enough and that I love God so much that I would be willing to do just about anything for Him, but uh, I would be lying to you to say uh, that I wouldn't have some re reservations, right? Many of us, uh, when God asks us to do something that is out of our comfort zone, we, we have some questions. We're skeptical about those things, right? Are you sure, God, you want me to do this? God, is there a better way? Or, or God, have you considered maybe doing it this way? Because I think that would probably work a little better, right? We start negotiating with God. Or if you're like me, man, God, isn't there someone else that's probably a little better than me, maybe more qualified, right? And you see, we're coming into the, the, the life of Jonah. And if you're, if you're like me and you have these questions, I would say that you're not alone. In fact, if you look throughout the pages of Scripture, uh, Bible character, Bible hero after hero, a lot of them had questions when God asked them to do something. You know, we, we look at Moses. You know, Moses, uh, he did some really, really amazing things, but when God told him what he needed to do to lead the people, do you know that Moses said no? He was afraid at first. It was because he had what he viewed as a speaking problem, right? Gideon said no because he lacked courage. And maybe you've heard of this guy named Jonah. Now, Jonah was more than a little reluctant to follow after God. I think Jonah represents a lot of us. When God asks us to do the impossible, we have questions. You know, we want to go our own way, and, and God called him to do a mission to reach the world, and Jonah wasn't having it. 
Uh, I want to encourage you, if you have a Bible, you can open up to Jonah chapter 1. We're going to just be in the first chapter, but Jonah's really a, a great book. It's four pages. For those of you who don't like to read like me, uh, it's just four chapters. Four chapters. You can hit play on your Bible app, do whatever you want to do, but I want to encourage you to go and to read the full story. We're going to hang out in chapter 1 if you've got your Bibles. We've also got it here. It says this in, in verses 1 through 3. It says, The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh, Nineveh, excuse me. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. So God's saying, listen, I want you to go into this place and I want you to tell them how terrible you are. Does that sound like a fun thing, like a fun job? Questions, right? We're skeptical. God, are you sure you want me to do that? Goes on to say, but, but Jonah got up and went into the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He was running. We laugh because we do it all the time. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship that was leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I ask that these words would penetrate our hearts, our minds, uh, God, our thoughts, everything that we are. God, I pray that you would challenge us, that you would draw us nearer to you through these words. God, let this be about you and what you want to say to our hearts. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So here we have God who is talking to Jonah. Jonah was a prophet, so many would consider him to be a man of God, a, God, a man who would speak for the Lord. And so we have a pretty spiritual guy. We have a guy who is in connection with God. And so God tells Jonah to go east to the city of Nineveh. And what does Jonah do? Well, he goes as far away from the east as possible. He heads west to Tarshish, as far away as he can. And you see, what he wanted to do is he wanted to do things his own way. He wanted to figure out a way to do it that would help him, that would please him. And really, there's kind of two reasons why I think that Jonah would do this. The first is that he would have believed with all of his heart that Nineveh didn't deserve a second chance, didn't deserve God's grace. You see, Nineveh was, this, was the capital of the Syrian Empire, and they were known as some of the most barbaric, uh, torturous people. What they would do is they would capture their enemies, and they would make it known their power. And so they were literally barbarians. And so the Hebrews, God's people, they feared them. They hated the, the Assyrian Empire. They hated those in Nineveh. And so Jonah's thinking, well, they don't deserve your grace, so I'm not going to go and extend that to them. God, that doesn't really make sense. Why should I go into that place and give them your mercy? The second reason I think he didn't want to go there is because, man, he feared for his life. Listen, this is literally God saying, I want you to go on a suicide mission for me, and I want you to go into the front lines, and I want you to tell these people who you fear and who hate you that they are in sin. That sounds like a terrible idea, doesn't it? I mean, this is like, if you think about it, a, a Jewish rabbi going into Berlin in the 1940s and going into the Nazi regime and saying, listen, what you're doing is wrong, it's sinful. What do you think would have happened to them? They would have been killed. They would have been tortured, right? And so this is what's going on in the mind of Jonah. The request from God in Jonah's mind, in his opinion, was just too much. God, are you sure that they deserve this? God, are you sure I'm the right one? God, is there someone else that you can do? Or God, you know what? I don't care what you say. I'm headed west. 
And that's exactly what he did. And you know, the truth about God is, is that sometimes he asks us to do the impossible. Man, have you ever been a, a part of a situation or maybe something in your life where God asked you to do something and it just didn't seem feasible? I mean, maybe it was a financial thing. Maybe it was a relational thing. Maybe it's a sin or an addiction or a habit where you just really didn't feel like you could get out of that. And not even God, God of all people, could even help. And you see, Jonah here, he's in the middle of that. And so the question that I want to pose to you and that what I want to encourage and challenge us all throughout the message is this. What would God do if he, or what would you do if God asked you to do something impossible? What would you do? Well, Jonah's first response is that he bought a, a one-way ticket in the opposite direction. So let's dig into the story. I think there's some truths that we can pull out from this, some things that we can learn. Uh, the first thing is this, is that Jonah had a problem with what God asked him to do. You see, Jonah had a problem with the job or the calling that God had put on his life. You see, Jonah didn't have any problem telling people about God when God needed him to or to, to be a public fee, fee, uh, figure that would speak to the people in the time needed. But when God asked him to do something difficult, what did Jonah do? He said, no. God, uh, they don't deserve this. God, I'm afraid of this. And so what Jonah was doing is he was running away from God's plan for his life. Do you know that's the very def definition of sin? We have this idea, it's called sin, it's when uh, we go away from God's glorious standard. God has a standard from us, or for us, and when we go the opposite way, when we turn from God and we go our own way, that's called sin, and so what Jonah was doing is he was going against what God had called him to do. Now, it's easy to be hard on Jonah, right, when we're looking at the story. Jonah, you're an idiot. God told you audibly what to do. Why wouldn't you do it? Right, But aren't we all a little bit, just maybe a little bit if we're humble like Jonah? <laughs> when it comes to our lives, some, some things that God asks us to do, uh, he, he asks us to do impossible things. And, and Jesus made it very clear several different times and, and in different ways that every person, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, we have really two jobs. The first is to love the Lord our God with everything we have our heart, our mind, our soul, our strength, everything inside of us. And then the second thing we're called to do is we're called to tell other people about God, about Jesus. That's our, that's our role. And so how many of you feel like Jonah? Is there any students in here? Maybe you're a high school student. Any high school students in here? Maybe not. Oh, they left. Oh, rightfully so. She's still here. <laughs> Sorry, we're pointing you out. Here's the thing. High school student, college student, whatever you might be, how difficult is it to go into your school and tell another student about Jesus? Like, that's the most fearful thing that you could possibly do, right? I don't want to buck the trend. I don't want to go against the norm. I want to be the popular person. I want to just kind of fit in and, and not have any drama. There's already enough drama going on, right? Well, it just doesn't stop there for those of us, those two of us area in the room in high school. It goes into everyday life. I mean, go to a workplace with people that you spend eight hours a day, sometimes more a day with, and you want me to tell them about Jesus? Like that? Whoa! But that's exactly what Jesus is saying. As a matter of fact, that's exactly 
the very last thing he said before he ascended to heaven, he said this, he said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So what Jesus said is, listen, the only thing you're required to do is you're, going, you're required to go out and tell people about my goodness, my love, my mercy, and what you're to do is, is you're supposed to lead them and point them to me. And you see, he was do- God was doing the same thing with Jonah. He was saying, Jonah, listen, I've called you to go into this city and to give them the truth. I've called you to go and to do something impossible because I want to use you as my mouthpiece to get their attention. And so Jonah had a decision to make. Am I going to believe and trust in the call of God or am I going to go my own way? And what did Jonah do? Which, by the way, most of us do, myself included, a lot. He went his own way. You know, I think what this points out is that deep down, Jonah just didn't have a problem with God's assignment. And I don't think it was that he was just afraid of of what was going to happen or what people were going to do for him. Rightfully so, be afraid of those things. But Jonah just didn't trust in God in general. He didn't trust him. He didn't trust that God knew what he was doing. He didn't trust that God was powerful, that God would have paid the way, that God would have used him in his purpose. He did not trust God's goodness or his protection. And so Jonah ends up trusting himself and going his own way, trusting in his own limited power and knowledge, his own idea of what should happen, instead of trusting in the all-knowing God, the creator of heaven and of earth, the one who spoke earth into existence, who knows every moment of Jonah's day and of our day, every hair on our head. He knows the stars and all of them by name. And so here you have Jonah who is going against this almighty God and he's taking on the role on his own. And in one sense, I think we're all like Jonah, a little bit like Jonah, aren't we? We're we're called to go and tell people about Jesus. If you're a follower of Christ in this room, that's our call. That's our mandate to give God the glory that he deserves and to point people to him. You know, we just had a a young woman up here, um, one of the one of the uh, friends of mine here that we actually grew up uh, in youth groups together at a different church here in Utah. Uh, they had brought in a friend here who, just by hearing today the message, wanted to give their life to the Lord. Just wanted to right here on the spot and to have their eternity changed. And you see, that's the power of God. But what we do is we want to get in our little box. And listen, I am more, uh, more of like that, putting myself in a box away from God than, than many people because it's so easy to do. And I'm not sure why we think that would work or even why Jonah would think that would work because, listen, I don't know about you, but when you try to grab onto your life and try to make sense out of it, and when you try to do things the way you feel like they should do, for me anyways, it usually ends up in chaos, doesn't it? When I take the reins of my own life or when I try to take the reins of, of what's going on or to manipulate how things should happen, it usually doesn't end up very well. And I think that, that was the same for Jonah. And that leads us to our next point is this, that that storms will follow those who run from God. Now listen, this isn't saying that every bad thing that has happened to you has been God, you know, bringing judgment on you or anything like that. But I do believe with all of my heart that God will use things to get our attention. And when we run from God or when we decide to go our own way, when we decide to sin, when we choose what we think is best, usually what happens after that isn't good. 
And there are things that we've done in life, maybe it was in relationships or whatever it might be, or, or habits or addictions or sins that we've had in our life that, that we've tried to, to, to take over, that we've tried to do, that we've tried to manage or manipulate. Usually what happens is destruction and chaos. And you see, what God needed to do, and then the irony of this story, of Jonah's story, is that he thought by seeking safety, by saying, you know what, my life is important I'm afraid to go to this place where I probably feel like they're going to kill me. I'm going to run away from God, and I'm going to do what I think is best because that is safety. He was running away from him, and what Jonah didn't realize is that God places storms oftentimes in our path to get our attention. And you see, that's exactly what he does here. That's exactly what he does. If you go on and read in in, uh, verses 4 through 12, We'll just kind of uh, give you a synopsis of it. But what happens is is that Jonah gets on this boat, and he goes down underneath the boat, and he goes to sleep. And so as he's sleeping, this giant storm comes. God allows this giant storm to come and to take over. And so you have this boat that's in a raging sea and this this crazy storm, and all of the, the sailors that are on board and the people that are on board are saying, man, we need to pray to our gods to figure out why this is happening. And it says one by one they began to pray to other gods and the storm got worse and worse. And so they began to put two and two together. They said, wait a minute, Jonah came on this ship and we'd been talking to him and you know, he, he had said that he's going the other way and that God called him to go this way. Maybe it's his God. And so they go down and they wake Jonah up and they bring Jonah up and they say, Jonah, what is going on? You need to pray to your God and, and you need to see what he's doing and why he's doing to, this to us. You know, the very cool part about this story is that God didn't just use this as a negative. In fact, all of these people that were praying to their other gods, they actually came to faith in God. They said, it must be your God who's causing this in his power and his mighty hand, and and we want to get on board. We've heard of this God before. And the Bible says that every single one of them turned from their gods and put their faith in the one true God. That's a cool part of the story. The other part of the story is Jonah was still being stubborn. You know what he said? He said, listen, the only way this is going to end is if you throw me overboard. And they thought, that's a really good idea, right? What you would think is a bad idea, we're going to kill you. That sounds like a really good idea. And the Bible says what they did is they picked him up and they threw him into the storm and into the ocean. And you know what happened? Everything went calm. And then immediately, this is the crazy part of the story, this giant fish comes and swallows Jonah. And so here you have Jonah sitting in the the middle of this fish, literally alive still, which doesn't make sense. It's crazy, isn't it? It's in the Bible. Read it. Four chapters. And Jonah in the middle of that darkness, in the middle of that difficulty, I mean, here he is. I'm dead. The Bible says it was that point that Jonah finally began to realize that maybe my way is not the right way. It took a big giant fish swallowing him to get him to this point. And so all of a sudden here you have Jonah and he's he's in there and he's he's wondering what's going on. Surely this has to be God. And here's the thing. When you're running away from God, when we're running away from God's call on our life, when we're doing things in our own view, there will be storms that will happen because of the result of running from God. Sin Sin is deceitful. Sin is all-consuming. It it leads us into directions that we shouldn't go. It leads us away from the pathway and the direction of God. And so when we're living in those things, you can guarantee there will be difficulties. 
Not all difficulties, but there will be difficulties. And here's the thing. And if we elaborate on this, I love this about God. God doesn't just say, I'm going to bring a storm in your life to, 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 to judge you or to condemn you or to make you feel the weight or the result of your sin, and I just want to watch you perish in the middle of that. That's not how God works. In fact, that leads us to the next point, that sometimes God has to bring severe mercy into our lives. That sounds like an oxymoron, doesn't it? Like severe mercy? Isn't mercy supposed to be goodness, to be, you know, love and kindness and to give us reprieve? So when you talk about this idea of severe mercy, like what does that mean? What does it mean that God has to to use severe mercy in our lives? You know, have you ever had to give your your kids a, a significant consequence to get their attention? Now, if you have and it's worked, can you talk to me after the service, please? My wife and I were willing to pay for it. <laughs> We've got like a, thir- a 12-year-old, 10-year-old, and a 7-year-old. We are desperate for your help, right? Here's the thing. You know, we're, we're in this phase right now, this like nego- it feels like negotiating with our kids, and, and we're trying to, to get them to figure out consequences that will stick. You know, things that we know that will impact them, that will change their behavior. And it's like we're bartering with the enemy all the time, right? Do we take away their phone? Or my oldest's phone, do we take away his phone? What about video games? You know, should we just lock them in their room for the rest of their lives? Yes. That's how we feel. So with my daughter, she's seven, we've actually switched the lock around and we've locked it from the outside. But not, not all the time. But in parenting, listen to this, our goal isn't to give them a punishment uh, that, that doesn't work. Our goal is to give them a punishment, a severe punishment that will get them to stop the behavior that they're in. To stop the bad habit that they're in, the disobedience or whatever it might be. And it's the same with God and us. I mean, think about this in your life. God, his children, you and me, aren't we stubborn? Aren't we stubborn in life and we want to do things our way? And we want to go our way because we feel like we have the right answers. We know what's best. We're in this life. God, you might be there, but we don't see you. And so I'm going to do this, this, and this because I know my way hopefully will work. And sometimes God allows chaos and he screams at us with with situations and things that happen in our life to get our attention. And you see, these sailors, they threw them into the sea to save their ship. But God allowed it to happen to restore and to save Jonah. You see, he used severe mercy to get his attention. Now, I always thought that this was a crazy story, but, but man, how powerful it is. What does God have to do to get your attention. Think about in that, that in your life. What has God, what does he have to do to get your attention? Maybe he has been trying to get your attention for years. What needs to happen in order to listen to what he has in store? In this case, it was being swallowed whole by a whale of all things. And Jonah, in the midst of that desperation, in the midst of that darkness, he says this, Chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from inside of the fish. He said, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble, and he answered me. I called to you from the land of the dead, and Lord, you heard me. You see, God brought severe mercy to get Jonah's attention. He's saying, listen, Jonah, I will do whatever it takes to draw you nearer to me. And sometimes that means 
catastrophe and chaos. Sometimes that means taking you from everything that you had and stripping you to the very, very bottom. And you see, God brought about this punishment in Jonah's life, not to punish him but to, but to, or to destroy Jonah, but to bring him restoration. It was to get him to draw nearer to God and to fulfill and to follow God's plan for his life. And so God had to break Jonah of his self-sufficiency, of his pride, of his ego. You know, you fill in the blank. We all have it, his anger, his, his jealousy, whatever it might be. In the Bible, God had to do this with Abraham and of Jacob and David and Elijah and Peter and Paul. And listen, these guys are all superstars of the faith because we're all human and we all want to do our own thing. But listen, God is calling us. He's calling you and he's calling me to something greater. You know, Jesus said something that I think really comes straight out of Jonah's story and it's in, in Matthew 10, 39. It says, if you cling to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you'll find it. Now, if you only trust yourself, if you only trust what you think is the right way, if you only go the direction that you think is the right way, what will happen is you will lose your life. It will lead to destruction. The Bible says eternally it will lead to despair. Your sin will separate you from God for eternity. But it says if you give up your life, if you give up your life to the Lord and let him do what he needs to do to forgive you and to to change you and to restore you and then to use you as he would call you, the Bible says at that point you will have eternal life and life to the full. You know, every single one of us, there's not anybody in here who's exempt, we all have to come to the point where we need to admit our selfishness, we need to admit our sin, we need to admit going our own way, and we need to let go and let God do what he needs to do in our lives. Often it seems like right, only right there at the bottom is when we want to say, okay, God, we need you now, right? You know, when things are going well and finances are good and our marriage is good and our kids are, are behaving, which is a Christmas miracle, but when all of those things happen, right? God, where are you? No, you know, we just kind of go about doing our life. Things are going. Check off the boxes. But what about those difficult times, Right? We, we, we lose a loved one. Our marriage is in disarray. Or the addiction is overpowering and it's overcoming. You know, whatever it might be, I don't know. Or maybe it's just a sense of complacency. And God's saying, listen, I need to shake you up and I need to show you that I can restore you if you would only let go of your life that you're clinging on to and you would trust in me and my call for you. Through God's severe mercy, Jonah finally figured it out. It's not about me. It's about God. It's not about my power. It's not about my knowledge. It's about trusting and believing in the almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-sufficient God, the God who created heaven and of earth, the God who knows everything, the same God who called me, will deliver me, will restore me, will protect me in the midst of my enemies. And finally, God took him there, and Jonah realized, okay, I don't deserve your grace. I don't deserve this. I deserve to die because of me going against you. But here's what I'm going to do, God. I'm going to change my ways. You see, that's the great thing about God. When we recognize and realize that we're sinners and we turn to him, he says, here I am. I'm waiting for you. In fact, he says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock in Revelation chapter 3. Here I am. I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. And I'm knocking and I'm trying to get your attention. But when you open that up, I will come in and we will share a meal as friends. That's God saying, listen, I love you. You're my friend. You're my child. And I am pursuing you recklessly. 
And sometimes I allow things to happen. Sometimes I allow punishment and all these things to get your attention. Do I have your attention? Does God have our attention? You see, I hope that he does. Because when we hold on to our life, we'll lose it. But when we hold on to God and we go after his life and his call, the Bible says that we'll gain it. Because listen, that's our last point. The best life you will ever live is the one that God has for you. I mean, do you believe that? Do you believe that with everything inside of you, that the best life that you could have is a one that honors God, that looks to to put him first, to to be the author of your faith and of your heart, the one to direct your path and to, and to to direct everything? You know, the God who is powerful, you know, I, I humbly, coming, I was coming here this morning, and I was driving from South Ogden, and I'm on my way down here, and I'm thinking, man, I have in my life allowed so many things to take priority in my relationship with God. You see, you get, you get into this thing called family, and you have kids, and you go about doing everything for your kids, because you want your kids to be the best that they can be. It's like this crazy thing, even when they do what they do. <laughs> It's like, I love them so much, I'll do whatever I can, you know, and, and we have kids that are pretty athletic, and, and sports is everything, and you see, we, we go, and we give, and we pay, and we get into this, and we go here, and we go that, and before you know it, there's all of these things that are happening, it's a team to make, it's a travel to do, it's a finance here, it's God, my kids, God, my life, and then you realize, where's God? Where is he? You know, and the most important thing isn't about a kid getting recognized or attention or, or a job promotion or finances or anything like that. The most important thing is that my son and my daughter and my other son, they come to know the living power of an almighty God that cares about them. Their eternity matters. You see, your eternity matters. Not how much money you can make. Not what, what you can do to enjoy life. None of those things. You see, what will happen is one day this life will end and we will either spend eternity with God And he will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Or the Bible says that if we haven't put our faith in Jesus, that we will spend eternity separated from him in a very, 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 very bad place. But just being separated from God is enough. You see, I don't know what it is in your life that has taken priority or precedent I don't know what it is that that you've allowed to be the all-consuming thing. You know, sometimes it's not necessarily a negative thing. There's nothing wrong with wanting the best for our kids. There's nothing wrong with wanting to strive and to be successful at work. What's wrong is when we put those things in order first before God. Because you see what happens is one thing becomes two, two becomes three, three becomes six, six becomes 12. That's as far as I got. I went to Roy High. That's it. (laughs) And then what happens is, is that it's further and further and further down the list. And where is God? Where's the one who's provided everything for you? Where's the one who gave you the gift of your kid or your child or your marriage or your job or your provision, your 401k or whatever it might be? Where is the the God Almighty who defeated death, who sent his son, Jesus Christ, the most precious thing to him, and he sent him onto this earth and he lived a perfect life? He did the impossible. You see, God called Jesus and he said, listen, I want you to step down into earth, that earth that we all know, way worse than the Assyrian Empire. And I I want you to live a perfect life. And then I want you to go humbly to a cross, and I want you to die a sinner's death, the death that every single one of those people deserve. I want you to do that. 
And you know what Jesus did? Jesus went to a place called the Garden of Gethsemane and he said, God, if you would please take this from me. You see, he, God, would you take this from me? Did you know what he said? After he said that a couple times, he said, God, but would your will be done and not mine? You see, a selfless act of God's love because he knew that his life was to be the best life that God had given him. And not only was it his life, it was a life to impact every single one of ours. You see, we have this amazing opportunity, this amazing call, this amazing charge, and that is to make disciples, to point people to Jesus. Jesus said, honor God with everything that you have. He didn't say stop there. He said, then make it not about you. He said, go point other people to me. You know, we've been talking about this, and and we talk about this right in the middle of the commandments, because now what happens is, is we have our relationship with God, and the next commandments deal with our relationship with people. And you see, we are called as the church to be God's mouthpiece. That's the calling that we have. The calling at Alpine Church is to help people pursue God. And that's everything that we do. Everything that we do is is focused and centered on pointing people to Jesus. Church services, this is about God. This is about Jesus. Youth services, it's about young people becoming world changers, experiencing God, and to change their world, and then to go into school and tell people about Jesus. It's about you making an impact at home to your neighbor and your community and your workplace. And it's about us as a church stepping up and being one church, one body, in seven, nine locations with our Spanish campuses. And you see, what the Legacy Project is all about, it's about helping more people pursue God. You know, Alpine is all about that. And I just want you to see just a quick story of one life that has been changed because of our church.